Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy, Tino, and Mike, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts. Last week, we had a listener send us an email asking us for some advice. This is not one of our clients, and we've never done an episode focused on listeners' real-life situation before, so we thought it would be fun to talk about this on the show. If you have any questions, comments, or would like us to discuss your financial situation on the show, email us at comments at onmarkets.com. Also, if you like the show, don't forget to hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. Sometimes we do a show and after we're done, I forget about the topic within five minutes. But other times I find myself thinking about what we talked about you know, later that day or even the next day. So last night I'm driving to the grocery store and for whatever reason, I'm thinking about Pascal's wager, which is what we talked about on the last episode. For those listeners that don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the previous episode, then resume this one. So I'm, I'm driving to the grocery store and I'm thinking about Pascal's wager. I don't know why I'm thinking about it just because we talked about it or whatever. And I'm starting to think about how can I apply that to everyday situations. And the more I think about it, the more I think it's just kind of stupid, to be honest. So <laughs> I'm driving to the grocery store and I'm like, well, let's think about the risk reward here. I have a finite gain getting my groceries, but I have an infinite loss of death, right? I could get in a car accident. Somebody could crash into me, whatever the situation is, and I'm dead. That's an infinite loss. So by that logic, I should not go to the grocery store. So, okay, let's say I forego going to the grocery store for the rest of my life. Maybe I can get delivery food, right? I've got Uber Eats here. So I think about that and I go, well, the food could show up and maybe somebody put poison in it. Maybe it has mad cow disease. I don't know. For whatever, whatever reason, it's no good. And I eat it and I die. Okay, well, finite gain that I got to eat my food and have it delivered. Infinite loss that I'm dead. So let's forego that. What's my other option? I can grow my own food, I guess. If I grow my own food, I go outside, maybe lightning strikes me, maybe a tree falls on my head or whatever. Same problem. Next solution. Well, how about if I grow my vegetables indoors? Mind you, I'm becoming apparently a vegan because that's my only choice at this point. So I'm going to start to grow my vegetables indoors. Well, if I do that, I need grow lights, which means I need to use electricity. And what happens if the electricity catches on fire and burns on my house and I die? Same situation. So I can just forego eating altogether, but if I do that, I'm eventually going to die. It just doesn't make any sense, right? You, you can't apply this logic to anything, right? These are very unlikely situations, but that's exactly the point of Pascal's wager is that no matter how minuscule the risk, you shouldn't even bother taking the risk. But if I don't take the risk, I'm dead. If I do take the risk, I'm dead. So we sort of have a paradoxical situation, and this is just happens to be the one that I was thinking about while I was driving to the grocery store. <laughs> well, I think what you're talking about, like when we were talking about this last week, I made the comment that it ignores degrees of risk, right? And I think that that's what you're talking about. I mean, what's the degree of risk that you're going to get hit by lightning when you're out weeding your garden because now you have to grow your vegetables at home? It's pretty tiny, right? There's also a necessity component too. You know, if you go to the grocery store, uh, yeah, you risk, you know, getting in a car accident, whatever it may be, but you, you need to eat, right? So I think that's the idea here to a degree also is that let's, let's port that over to investing. Uh, for those that have ever sold a, a, a call option before, you know that if you sell a call option, you have infinite downside because let's say the stock source, I mean, let's say you sell a call option in like GameStop and let's say you collect a premium, a couple thousand dollars, whatever it may be. You really are exposing yourself to infinite downside because with a call option in that scenario, you, you basically collect some premium of some kind, whatever, whatever it's a couple thousand dollars, whatever it may be. But if the stock goes to the moon, 
you could get called out of your position and lose a lot of money. So the question then becomes, it's not necessarily, is Pascal's wager saying don't do it? Is that is the reward worth the risk? Is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, is it worth potentially getting blown out of your position or, or losing everything in your in your account over earning a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand dollars in premium? I think that's the key point of Pascal's wager. I, I just think it it's kind of stupid. I mean, <laughs> right, because the whole point of his wager of, of this analytical platform is that you should ignore the probability because the probability is irrelevant because the infinite downside, no matter what the probability is, is not worth the risk, no matter what it is. So if we're ignoring the probability, which is, is what he says to do, you, you can't do it. It's, it's actually impossible. It's, it's a paradox. You, you, you can't do that. If you take it to that extreme, I mean, I'm sure that there's many different ways you could look at this as a paradox. I mean, and, and by the way, Remy, you're not the only one that has issues with Pascal's wager. I mean, it, it's not necessarily uh, fail safe. And there's a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of criticism, particularly in the academia world around how Pascal's wager is set up. Uh, and I could tell you uh, from firsthand experience that big banks and, uh, and large investment firms, uh, their risk departments are slightly more sophisticated than a Punnett square looking at upside versus downside risk. Maybe. <laughs> right? You never know. <laughs> yeah, well, post-financial crisis world, I would say. <laughs> Before 2008, yeah, you're probably right. There's some concern there. Yeah, I don't actually buy into the Pascal's wager. No, nah, you can't do it. By that logic, you can't do anything. And if you don't do anything, you're dead. <laughs> so I hate it, actually. <laughs> Tina, what's your feeling on it? It's like anything else. It's it's a good framework for thinking, but the world's slightly more complicated than binary decisions yeah. usually. I feel like for that exact question, is there a God or no God, that logic is perfect. But as soon as you remove it from, from that specific conundrum, it falls apart. Yeah, it's less applicable to almost anything else. Yeah, yeah, it kind of crumbles. Again, it, 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 it's how you frame the question a lot of times. It's like what, what I wrote about in the piece is, you know, think about it. You're going to retirement. You have all the money you need to retire. You don't need any more. Why risk, you know, your retirement for something you don't need? So that's a good use of Pascal's wager or a good way to frame the question for Pascal's wager. That one's much more analogous than almost anything else. <laughs> All right, cool. So that's not what this episode is about. I just thought I'd do a follow up as I was as I was driving to the grocery store. Like I said, I started thinking about it and I went, man, we need to talk about this a little bit more. So let's talk about this email that we got from a listener. This is really a, a great case study. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize the situation and the question, and then we can discuss it from a few different points of view. So this listener bought 2,700 shares of unnamed stock. I'm, I'm not going to name the stock because the point of the show isn't to uh, suggest stock to buy, um, but, but rather talk about situations. So he bought 27 shares of stock in 2016 for $3.81. Six months later, that stock plummeted. It tanked. He decided for whatever reason, I don't know why it tanked and I don't know what the mindset of this listener is, but for whatever reason, he felt it was a good idea to purchase more of this stock. So he purchased another 2,400 shares at $1.72. Today, that stock is trading at 253. On the first lot, he's down about 33%. And the value of that lot is about $6,800. On the second lot, he's up 47%. And the value is roughly $6,200. So right now he's got two lots. They're roughly worth about the same amount. One is a loss, one is a gain. The question he has is if he is going to sell one lot, which lot should he sell? Let's start this with talking about 
the decision that he made to buy more. So Tino, I'm going to pose this one to you. I don't know a ton of people that buy a stock, watch it tank six months later, and then buy more. What do you think about this strategy? Well, you know, like everything in this world, at least in this business, it depends. But I would say that there's nothing wrong with buying more of a stock. You know, timing an entry point is impossible. I mean, at least to do it consistently. So if your fundamental thesis is that a stock is going to go up, you know, you buy it at whatever price that this individual bought it at three or four bucks a share, and you think it's worth, you know, five or 10 or whatever it is. You know, if, you, if your thesis remains intact and that $3 stock goes down to $1.50 or $1.80, whatever it is, then theoretically, you should be more excited about that stock because it's now cheaper. Again, assuming that your fundamental thesis has not changed in any way, shape or form. So if anything, I almost applaud the, the investor for making that move. Now, let's flip that around. If the, if the impetus or the desire to purchase was to you know, basically double down to cover their losses, hoping that the stock would re- rebound, uh, and if this is the scenario that they're currently in right now, where it's, you know, they took a loss, they doubled down or the phrase, not necessarily the actual math, and now they're theoretically back to even and they just want to get back to even. That's something different. That's gambling. I'm not, uh, I'm not too big of a fan of, of those types of trades. I think it depends on probably some other stuff that we don't know. Like the way Tino describes it, if, if the guy just wanted to get back to even, I don't know why he doesn't want to just sell the whole thing because essentially he's even at this point, right? He's, he's down on one. He's, he's up on the other roughly the same amount. So you don't have a tax consequence. One cancels the other and he's even and just chalk it up to a quasi failed experiment, I guess. I don't right. know. But, um, but you know, I don't know if, if he's, if he still believes in it, you know, I don't know why he wants to sell half. Maybe he just wants to reduce his exposure. And then I guess if that's the case, I would take a look at what else I've got. If I want to get rid of something else that's got some loss, then maybe I sell the part with the gain and I write off the gain against the loss and, and even up my tax liability that way. You, you sort of beat me to the bunch there. As I was so, going to ask, what do you think about the tax consequences of this? Is that something to consider? Yeah. To me, that's the whole decision. That, that's, at least that's the way I see it. That's the first thing I thought of when you brought this up, right? It's funny because Tino immediately thought about, is this guy buying another, another lot because essentially he perceives it to be on sale, right? His, his thesis is the stock should be whatever, four bucks a share. Now it's down to $1.72. You know, it's a good buy. I go buy more. My mind didn't go there. My mind went to the, the tax consequence of the thing. Maybe that's because Tino's on the asset management side and, and, and I'm on the wealth management side. Which is exactly why I thought this was going to be a good topic to talk about on the show today. It's a great situation to see two completely different points of views, depending on which side of the business you're working on. Yeah, I completely think about the tax consequence. You know, thinks about the actual value of the stock in the company, I suppose. Interesting. Hey, if you like it at four bucks, you love it at two. Yeah. Yeah, that does make sense, right? And, and we have plenty of clients that do that. They say, you know, we try to, you know, I try to buy the dips. I, again, it, does it, can they really do it? Probably not. But, but people think they can. And maybe that's what this guy was doing. Yeah, look, stocks go on sale all the time. I mean, you don't, you don't always get them, but when you see them on sale and you've got ca- excess cash lying around, uh, nothing wrong with adding to your position at all. It's hard on, you're right, as an, as an asset manager, it's hard to, to incorporate taxes because of much of what we've already discussed. I don't have a holistic picture of this individual's situation. So you know, from my perspective, taxes are obviously important. We try to manage them as best as possible, but at best, it's a secondary or tertiary reason for us to make an investment decision. It's, it's a distant second or third of that. So to go back to your original thought, though, if he's buying it because his thesis is still intact, then theoretically he should be looking to buy, still buy more, right? Because it's still below where he bought right. it the first time, right? It was at three, would you say it was Remy? Three something? 381. 381. And what is it today? 253. All right. So he should be buying more now. Well, I think you said it earlier, Mike. Why are you selling? 
I mean, that's that's the question uh, because we really can't do much else other than that because is is this still a buy what's your opportunity cost i mean that maybe that's what the issue is here maybe this individual sees an investment that they think it's better than this current one and they want to cash out and, and reallocate the funds that could be it too or maybe this is all he has and he needs a new transmission or a new pair of nikes yeah <laughs> or a share of a new pair of nikes <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> right okay maybe we should email him back and ask him for for more detail yeah, we could certainly follow. do that. Why, why don't we do this? Since, since we're sort of missing a little bit of information here, and, and this sort of can go a million different ways, why don't we talk about a few scenarios in which you would sell the lot that has lost, a few scenarios in which you would sell the lot that has gained, a few situations where you would not sell either lot, or a few situations where you might sell both and just liquidate altogether? Well, that one's easy for me. If I've got other stocks that I'm in a gain position, and I want to sell some of those, then I sell the lot that's down and I balance out my taxes. If I have other stocks where I have lost and I want to sell, then I do this the opposite. Then I sell the, the $3 and change position because now I offset that gain with the other loss. If I need the money, I sell the whole damn thing. And, <laughs> and, and, if, and if I believe that the, that the real value is four or five bucks or six bucks or whatever, whatever, you, you know, whatever have you, then I probably buy more. There's almost no situation where I stand pat, I guess. Yeah, and succinct answer as well. Right off the cuff too. Yeah, I know, that was pretty impressive actually. <laughs> <laughs> if the thesis hasn't changed, you don't sell any of it. If it has changed, you sell all of it. Now, I think that there's a situation where I do agree with Mike that there's a potential to leverage taxes in the situation where if this stock is, let's say it's something like an, I'm, I'm making up a, you know, a, a large a mega cap stock, something that's low, low volatility that I'm assuming long-term gains in this, at this point where, you know, the stock might go up or down a few percentage points, but you feel like the odds are in your favor on better, uh, on, on a, a better gain through taxes. Then I would sell. And then maybe again, if the thesis hasn't, hasn't changed, buy back in 31 days or whatever it is, whatever you need to, do to qualify for your, uh, for tax purposes. But let's say this is a thinly traded microcap stock. Again, I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but something that's going to move around quite a bit. You know, who knows what could happen in 30 to 31 days? You might miss a big move up simply because you're trying to, you know, pay less taxes. So there's always that that give or take when you're when you're considering these types of decisions, and it always goes back to it depends. So ultimately, we need more information. But you know, I, I thought this. I think this is a great exercise. I really like this. I, th I think we have a solid answer for multiple situations, and there's a solid answer and a solid argument for each possibility. We've never talked about a listener or a client situation on the show before, but I think this is actually very helpful because it really does sort of outline some real world situations that some of our listeners can can put to good use. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you guys want to try and do some more episodes like this? Yeah, I think it's fun. I, li I like the idea, you know, where you could throw out a set of circumstances that we each, each have an opinion on it and try to change each other's minds sometimes too. I kind of like that. So for, for all of our listeners, send us an email, comments at onmarkets.com. Let us know what your situation is. We'll talk about it on the show and hopefully you get something out of it. This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management, LLC and Darwin Advisors, LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and there could be no assurance that any investment 
or strategy would be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.